All right. So today is part, or episode two of season two of Jesus the series. Eventually, I, I'm going to get lost in this whole thing. But here's a question. How many have ever had a question that you didn't want to ask? Have you ever had something like that? Question that you didn't want to ask. Maybe it's because you didn't want to embarrass someone else. I don't know why, but it's kind of hard to ask the question, what's wrong with your face? What's going on there? There's something different. Or maybe it's even like, what happened to your hair? Uh, that looks weird. Uh, Noah uh, got a haircut this last week, and I had him put a hard part in that. I don't know if you know what that is, but uh, I've got one here. It's where they kind of shave a part there, so you can part it there. And Noah went to do his hair this last week, and he did it over on the other side. And he's like, he didn't even tell us about it. We're like, well, why do you do your hair that way? He's like, they shaved the whole thing in my hair. <laughs> he didn't know that we had did it on purpose. Uh, but sometimes, you know, it's hard to ask those questions uh, because we're embarrassed for someone else. Sometimes we don't like to ask those questions because we're embarrassed that we don't know. How many have ever lo- uh, gone along with a conversation where everybody else knew what was going on and you kind of acted like you knew what was going on, right? You've done it. And you're like, oh, yeah, totally. I agree with you 100%. And you had no idea what was going on. But you were embarrassed because you didn't want to let on that you had no idea. And sometimes it's hard for us to admit that we have questions and maybe even doubts. When Nicodemus, we're going to see today in, if you'll turn in your Bibles to John chapter 3, we're going to see a guy that had questions, but he really didn't want anyone else to know it. And this passage is found in John's account of Jesus' life. We're going to see that in John chapter 3. It says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. And this man came to Jesus by night. So in Jerusalem, there's this man named Nicodemus. He, and he was one of the best of the best as far as religion goes. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. And that was a group of middle-class Jewish businessmen that had a very strong influence over the Jewish people. There were about 6,000 of them in those days. They were very elite. This was the, the club that you wanted to be a part of. You were a Pharisee. They were some of the most dedicated and passionate people in this culture about religion. But Jesus, you would see, and you've probably noticed, that Jesus rebuked them over and over and over again about being so concerned with outward rules and regulations rather than real inward transformation. So Nicodemus was a Pharisee, but he also was part of the Sanhedrin. Now the Sanhedrin was a ruling class of Jews composed of priests and scribes and elders, and they totaled only 71 people. So this was even more exclusive. They were the court of the time. If you had a problem, you would go to the Sanhedrin, and they would make some judgment about it. They tried civil and criminal cases, and the only thing that they needed approval from the ruling Roman government was if they wanted to enact capital punishment. But other than that, they were the ruling uh, court of the time. So basically, what we're trying to say here is that Nicodemus was the top 71 most religious people in Jerusalem, according to Religious Magazine Weekly, right? He was the tops. He was a, 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 a well-respected person. Basically the Steph Curry of religion in that day, right? But Nicodemus had questions. 
Nicodemus had questions. See, Jesus was wildly popular during that time with the people. He was doing miracles. People were following him. It was new and it was exciting. And the Pharisees were not so much that popular at this time. The Sanhedrin wasn't as popular. They were opposing Jesus. They were critical of Jesus. And they were jealous of Jesus. And the Pharisees did not like Jesus. Right before this passage, Jesus had driven all the people out of the temple and he had called them all out for making the temple a place to sell merchandise. And I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but religious people really don't like it when you call them out for doing wrong, right? You know those type of people. It's like, oh, I'm holier than everybody else. I'm up here on a pedestal. You can't, you know, say anything against me. And they also, religious people uh, normally don't really like change very much either. A lot of times, uh, religious people are more married to the method than they are the actual mission. They care a lot more about how they like to see things done, more than whether or not they're accomplishing the mission, the purpose that they are there for. So again, Jesus wasn't very popular with the religious elites. And eventually, they lied about him and they crucified him. But Nicodemus had questions. So he went to Jesus and to find him under the cover of darkness so that no one would see him fraternizing with this rebel that they called the Messiah, they called Jesus Christ. So he went at night. And I've heard people call Nicodemus a coward because he went at night. You know, he, he didn't want anybody else to see. But it seems pretty brave to me. What, do you, what did you have to risk to learn more about Jesus, right? Nicodemus risked things. He risked his job. He risked his reputation. He risked uh, you know, perhaps even imprisonment. And the most we probably risked to learn more about Jesus was, you know, not getting to sleep in on a Sunday morning. But he went to Jesus at night. And imagine, uh, you know, someone like uh, Steph Curry or uh, going and asking a rookie how to shoot a basketball. Or a PhD going and ask a Pharisee, uh, excuse me, a freshman uh, what his thoughts were on the world. Nicodemus very easily could have said, I am a Pharisee, I'm a part of the Sanhedrin. Why would I go and ask this Jesus, this young buck, this new person on the scene about anything? Nicodemus risked his reputation, his job, the life he had built. Well, let's look at the question there in John 3, verse 1. It says, this man came to Jesus by night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. First he says, look Jesus, it's clear that you are sent from God. These miracles that you have done could not have been done by anyone except that God was with him. But see, Nicodemus had questions, but he started off with a statement. But even though Nicodemus doesn't ask the question, we're going to see here that Jesus answers the real question. What was really in his heart? In verse 3, Nicodemus has said, hey, look, it's obvious you're a teacher from God. And uh, John 3 says that Jesus answered him and said, truly, truly, I say unto you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. See, Jesus answered the question that Nicodemus had in his heart. The real reason that he was there. How can I be a child of God? How can I be a part of the kingdom of God? And Jesus tells him that he needs a new birth. 
You've been born once of earthly means, and now you need to be a child of God through spiritual and heavenly means. Nicodemus hears that word born again, and now he's got even more questions. Now he's even more confused. In in verse 4, it says, Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a, a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus, I'm an adult man. How am I supposed to be born again? Being born again doesn't make a lot of sense. Am I supposed to return to the womb of my mother? How long am I supposed to stay in there? Do I need to stay in there for nine months? Am I going to have to be a baby again? Is this some kind of Benjamin Button scenario? He doesn't understand. He clearly isn't getting it. Maybe you're here. Maybe this morning and you would admit to yourself that this Christianity thing, you're not sure about it. Maybe you're not, when you hear these words like born again and salvation, and you're like, man, I don't, honestly, I don't really know. How am I supposed to do that? This seems weird to me. I can't hold it. I can't feel it. I can't touch it. I can't see it. And if I can't do those things, man, I'm just skeptical. But this same Jesus that's speaking here, this born again, this same Jesus that is speaking here, And saying these things is the same Jesus that would later be crucified, buried, and rise from the dead. And then later be seen by 500 witnesses. And so what I'm saying is, even if it's a little bit strange, I'm in. Why? Because I'm going to trust the guy that rose from the dead. And Jesus goes on to uh, to explain what he means, born again, in in verse 5. Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, Unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. Jesus says you have to have a spiritual cleansing. You need to be changed. You need to be made new. Ephesians 5.25 says that Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with his word. The Bible says that we need to start over. We need a rebirth. So here's a question for you today. Do you have a spiritual birthday? Is there a time that you can go back and say, that was when I was born again? That's what Jesus is telling Nicodemus here. Verse 9, Nicodemus is still a little bit confused. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him and said, are you a teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? Nicodemus the Pharisee, the member of the Sanhedrin with all his training and study and religious education somehow had missed out on the most important thing. Verse 13, Jesus says, no one has ascended into heaven except he who has descended from heaven, the son of man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Jesus gives us another Easter egg here, another clue to pointing towards the crucifixion and the resurrection. Jesus says, I've come down from heaven to be lifted up. And Jesus used this terminology, lifted up, six times in the book of John. John 12, 32. It says, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to 
myself. What does that mean? What does it mean to be lifted up? Well, that phrase lifted up not only points towards the resurrection, but back towards the book of Numbers where there was a plague of snakes that had come and it tormented the people and because of the consequences of their sin. And God told Moses to lift up a bronze snake on a pole and it stopped the plague. And that's what the idea of being lifted up was. Why? Because Christ came to stand between you and the punishment that you deserve for your sin. Your sin sickness. See, Nicodemus had questions. And next, Jesus gives him the answer. When I was a teenager, the most popular, uh, probably the best basketball player uh, at the time was Allen Iverson. And that was his nickname. They called him the answer. Why? Because it was, he was the answer. He was what basketball needed. He brought something totally different. Well, Jesus gives Nicodemus the answer. He gives Nicodemus what he was missing and what he needed in verse 15. It says that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. See if you recognize this next part. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Verse 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in this name of the only son of God. So Nicodemus had questions and Jesus gave him the answer. Jesus laid John 3.16 on Today, this is the single most recognizable verse, and Nicodemus got to hear it straight from Jesus' mouth. Football players write it under their eyes now. People hold up signs in stadiums. Most likely, everyone in this room has it memorized. Let's see if we can do it. We'll do it the old-fashioned way. How about we do a King James Version, because that's the one that I've, uh, uh, I've memorized. You ready? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. See, Nicodemus had questions. But some, for some reason, when we have questions, we get scared. We feel like God doesn't want to hear them. We feel like maybe we shouldn't take these things to God. There was no rebuke here from Jesus to Nicodemus. There was only explanation, there was only love, there was only the gospel, and the the most famous Bible verse ever to be produced that we've ever seen gets laid on this Pharisee that had questions. Don't be afraid to ask questions. Nicodemus had risked everything for answers. And later we see Nicodemus standing up for Jesus during his trial. And we even see Nicodemus there taking uh, care of Christ's body and anointing it with expensive burial spices after his crucifixion. It appears to me that Nicodemus got the answers that he was looking for. So what's your application? What, What does this mean to us right now? Well, Number one, do you have unanswered questions? We've been going through the words and works of Jesus Christ, literally just trying to follow his example and seeing who he is, 
because now it's our turn to live this life. That's the first thing I want to pull out of this is do you have unanswered questions? I want you to know that Jesus has time for them. You can go right to him. You don't have to hide those fears, those doubts, those things that you're not sure about. Too often, even with God, we like to put on our religious mask of a hypocrite. You know, that's what that means. The word hypocrite is uh, from the actors that would wear these masks when they act. And sometimes we like to do that with God. We like to act like we're holier. We put on our praying voice and we, we say, God in heaven, help me today. Instead of saying, God, I don't know why this is going on in my life. God, I don't understand. I've got pain. I've got hurt. I've got confusion. God, why did I just lose my job? I've been trying to serve you. I don't understand what's going on. God, uh, my wife and I are having problems, and I don't understand it, God. I'm scared about it. I have doubts. Why do we clean up our prayers? Instead, why don't we just go right to him? Are you willing to admit that you don't know? to talk to somebody, to reach out to someone. You say, I've been praying about this. You go to someone, your life group leader, or someone that you know that is spiritual and that will push you towards God and help you find those answers that you are looking for. Are you too scared to search God's word for the answer? Are you too scared to study it out, to pray for clarity? Do not be content to leave your questions unanswered. That's the first thing is, do you have unanswered questions? And the second thing is this, are you ready to give answers? If someone takes the risk to ask you about your faith, are you prepared to give them a real answer? 1 Peter 3.15 tells us, in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense To anyone who asks for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. As followers of Christ, we're supposed to be ready. We can show love and we can can do all the good works, but when people say, hey, why are you doing this? If you can't give them an answer, that's a problem. And, And look, you don't have to be a Bible scholar. You don't have to have a Ph.D., Even if all you have is John 3.16 and you just say, hey, look, this is what I know. I know that God loved us so much and I know that we are sinners and we couldn't get to him on our own. But he died for us and he took our place. Are you ready to explain it? The world has so many questions and very little answers. When people look at you, will they even know that you might have the answer? Can they see Jesus in you? Does your life reflect that you have the answer? And if they do ask, are you ready? See, Jesus answered those that had doubts and questions, and now it's our turn. God has left us here as the hands and the feet. And the preachers, you might say, well, I'm not a preacher. The Bible says that we're supposed to go all into all the world and preach the gospel. Every single one of us. If you're a follower of Christ, then you are supposed to preach One message, and that is the gospel. We're supposed to be ready to answer those questions. When you have questions and doubts, sometimes we're tempted to just turn up the noise, to drown them all out, to turn our phone on and to look at it, to comfort us, 
But really in the end, when we don't, when we leave those questions unanswered, it really just causes fear and anxiety. Face your questions head on, like Nicodemus, and trust the answer. There, head bowed, eyes closed. The worship team comes. A lot of us in our faith journey, we can look back and we were really excited at one point. We really were just in love with Jesus. We were in love with God and we just wanted to be, wanted to be in the church and around church people. And for some of us, what happened was there was this question, there was this thing that we didn't really like that the Bible said or maybe that someone told us that the Bible said. And that really just stuck in our heart. And because we had that unanswered question, we felt a little bit distant. We didn't want to ask it because we were afraid to know the answer because maybe the answer would be uncomfortable. But for some of us, that's where our growth in Christ really stopped. We, we butted up against the wall, a question, an unanswered thing, something we didn't understand, or maybe we just didn't have the faith to accept that that's what the Bible said. It's okay to have questions. It's okay to have doubts. But do not disengage from them. Do not leave them there. Tim Keller says that doubts are like antibodies for belief. If you don't have antibodies, your body is going to get sick the first time something comes along. And for some of us, that's what happened, is we didn't engage with our doubts, we didn't answer those questions, and then something came along, this big thing in our life that was hard to understand, and we had no way to fight it because we didn't engage with those questions that we had. God is big. God is infinite and omnipotent. He's not scared at all of your questions. Go to him. And then maybe you're the one that you have done pretty good at seeking out those answers, studying those things out for yourself, and you know why you believe what you believe. Are you ready to give an account for the hope that is in you? Let's take a little time as they play. Let's pray and just ask God to search our heart. Maybe today what you need to pray about is that you need to say, God, I've got these questions and I'm going to not ignore them anymore. I'm not going to let them fester in the back of my mind and cause me unbelief. But I'm going to engage with them. I'm going to find out why that thing that I know goes against culture makes me uncomfortable when people talk about it, that Christians believe this. I'm going to really figure it out. I'm going to figure out why the Bible says it. I'm going to ask God to pray and illuminate my heart as to why this thing is so. Let's take some time to pray this morning.